Go to Revelation chapter 16. Uh, I do have the rest of the passage prepared to teach through. But I uh, sitting down going over all my notes this afternoon and trying to make sure that my uh, references were correct and my brain was in the right gear. And uh, after this morning's service and the first point specifically that we made this morning about the right hand of the wicked and uh, the right hand representing strength and power and direction and things like that, specifically focusing in on the application of it representing power and how the mouth works. And how we referenced the devil, Satan, standing at the right hand of the wicked. And when you go down and look through that passage, if you go back and read it later in Psalm 109, um, most of the manifestation that you see of the wicked has to do with their mouth. And um, in mentioning even Peter and the influence of the devil and, and not so Lord to thinking he's saying something good to God. And then looking at these notes this afternoon, the way it ties into that. I think I'm going to wind up stalling out, just so you know. I think we're going to wind up stalling out around verse 14. Uh, because I want to run some references in your Bible with you, and so we're going to might spin off here into a little bit of a topical study. Uh, but it won't, be, it won't be topical from the standpoint of me just giving you my thoughts. It's going to be topical from the standpoint of looking at what the Bible has to say about this uh, specific topic. And I think it's important for us. It's not something I necessarily... Um, like to teach or preach on. Um, but I think it's something that's pretty necessary. And so what I want to do with the Lord's help is I'm going to give it to you when we get to it. So we're not going to start off on that theme, but I think it's going to wind up turning uh, that direction. And, and I think uh, I want to study this subject matter carefully. Um, I'm saying all this now kind of as a little introduction, all right? Um, what we're going to see is these unclean spirits like frogs coming out of their mouth. And we're going to look at some of the stuff about unclean spirits. And, and the reason that I want to be careful about it is I don't want you to leave out of here and start Googling stuff. And I don't want you to get so carried away that you get paranoid. And I, this is all part of my message, all right? So I'm already starting. Um, I want to say this. I think a good example of it is, is something that I said last week that I would like to clarify this evening. When we talk about... Um, I mentioned eating steak, remember? And I said, you know, I, I try to get the blood out of it. I like a hot pink center, but no blood, no bunch of blood on your plate because you're not supposed to be drinking blood, right? You, you, you do realize, and I want to make sure that you realize, that you can carry some of that stuff too far to the point of superstition. A lot of you like your steaks raw. And I don't think that that's not raw, but rare. You understand what I mean? When you go back and look at the passage, it says, and from things strangled... And from blood. So most of the meat that you eat, the throat was slit and the thing was bled out first. Does that make sense? And then you cut that meat and they deliver it and package it and it gets delivered and you're eating it and you say, how would you like your stare? Uh, steak? Uh, rare. Medium rare. And there can be a little bit of blood in there. That is not the same as somebody denying that passage and drinking blood or getting a steak where the thing was strangled. Acts uh, 20, I think it is, thing was strangled and the blood wasn't bled out of the meat. And then you slap a raw steak down there, or a rare steak down there, and it's bloody. For me, I, wouldn't, I personally wouldn't do that. Does that make sense? Um, sometimes I've ate steaks rare, but when I see that it looks like there's blood in it, this is my hang-up for me personally. I, I want to clarify because I don't want you to get... Um, too superstitious. I don't want to undermine your faith and make you weak. Do you understand what I'm saying? And start getting over, overthinking stuff a little bit and getting weird about stuff. I, I don't want to do that to you. And that can happen when you love God and see a verse and that verse isn't properly taught or properly thought through and applied accurately. Are we making sense? So I don't want to do that to you. That being said, since it says to abstain from blood and specifically things strangled, for my personal hang-up, I make sure that the blood's gone. I say no blood. So what's, what's your medium rare? All right, okay, is that hot pink, little, too pink? Like, I, I, don't, I just don't like it bloody. I, I feel like God said to abstain from blood for more than just spiritual reasons. As you know, the occult will do that stuff. They'll drink blood and all that. Um, so 
that, that that's obviously something very wicked is going on there and something connected to devils and unclean spirits is happening, right? We all know that. That's no rocket science. But for me, I think God said to abstain from blood because there's probably something, the life of the flesh is in the blood and the diseases are born in the blood. So I'm a, I, I'd like to be a health nut and all that kind of stupid stuff. And then I'm the one that gets sick more than anybody else in my family. But anyways, um, stuff's in the hands of God more than it's in our own hands, by the way, just so you know. It doesn't matter. You could eat, you know, lettuce your entire life and exercise to no end and drop dead early if God's done with you. But anyways, I digress. So I have a hang-up about it. I want, I want the blood out because I think blood's bad for you. Make sense? But I'm not going to say if you like your steaks rare that, that you inadvertently fell into something demonic or that you're disobeying the Word of God. Is that, is that clear as mud? All right, so I just want to make sure that I don't misrepresent the stuff. And I get rolling there and I'm, I'm talking sometimes and the point, the overall point is good, but... I mentioned in there that I like mine medium. I want to make sure I don't mind a hot pink center, but I don't want blood in there. And some of you are like, I like mine more than one person. I like mine rare. Is that like, I'm like, no, I don't think you're possessed. You're okay. I don't think you're, you know, <laughs> God's upset with you. Because it specifically says things strangled, right? Most of what you're eating is bled out. Is that helpful at all? All right. So I do want to alleviate your conscience a little bit about that and yeah I got a little bit of a hang up because of that because I think the blood's bad for me but I mean I had some deer heart the other day first time ever in my life man that was good some onions and butter and just fried the thing cut it slid it down there and it just looked like little circles I made sure I cleaned all the clots out and washed it and I cooked it until it was wasn't raw I made sure that it was cooked but man was that good and they say it's full of vitamins and minerals and stuff I eat liver liver's a, a filtered organ and I never used to like liver, but all of a sudden, man, I like liver. I like to put a bunch of butter in the pan and melt it, and then I put my, my onions in there, and I let the onions cook for a while, and then I put the liver on top, enough onions to cover the pan. I put the liver on top of the onions, and then I just flip the liver until it's cooked, and then I eat the liver and onions. That's good stuff, man. It's supposed to be full of vitamins and minerals. I just make sure I get the blood out of it. You, you follow me? All right, so hopefully I didn't mess you up too bad on all that. But Revelation chapter 16, we'll pick it up here. And we're going to get down here to these unclean spirits. And I want to study it biblically, not internet. And I want to show you some stuff in the Bible about unclean spirits that will get you to think and consider something. And I'm going to do so with a point that I'm trying to drive at in the end. And the point that I want to show you is the answer to it all. And how you can be sure you don't have to worry about it. But I do want you to be careful. And I want you to be, understand these things without getting too carried away. If you want to look up something on the internet, I'd look up Dr. Ruckman preaching on how to deal with unclean spirits. I think that's a great message. It's about an hour and a half long. And you'll hear an old school uh, Bible-believing man that definitely of the men in our day and age that dealt with it and dealt with attacks from the devil and all that stuff, it'd be him. And it'd be him not for any personal reasons. It's him because of how he saw the Bible and how God used him in regards to strengthening the faith of the body of Christ in the words of God. And as a result of that, and the platform that God gave him, and the influence that he had, the devil came after him. And he dealt with a lot of it. And he preached a message on how to deal with unclean spirits. I think you should listen to that. I think that would help you. Outside of that, I wouldn't listen to much. Not on the internet. Uh, I've had people that sit here in this church service and know me very well. Say, when I listen from home, you sound 20 to 30% harsher and meaner than you do in person when I'm sitting in the church pews. I thought, man, that's wild. I mean, I don't think I'm that hard of a preacher. I don't think, I mean, I think I'm a hard preacher. I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a tiptoeing preacher, but I don't think I'm that mean spirit. I really don't think I'm mean spirited. I pray hard not to be. Uh, last, last thing you want to be known for is being a mean-spirited preacher. What kind of preacher, what kind of preacher filled with God's spirit, which is like a dove, we'll look at in a little bit, wants to be known for being mean? I don't want to be known for being mean. But something about the internet, folks, I'm telling you, even though God does use it and some good gets done with it, it's not the same as sitting here and you feel the spirit in the room. You lose that over the airways. Satan is the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. There's something strange going on there. 
And something gets lost in that translation to an extent. Not saying all of it. I'm saying something. You sit here in the room and you watch my body language and you look at my eyes and you see my face and uh, you watch the reaction of people that know me and love me and have known me for a decade or more, and, or if not a decade, years. And, and you get a totally different feel than you get listening over the internet. Isn't that interesting? So I'm just telling you, God gave you a local church and a Bible and a couple of knees that should work. And even if they don't work, you don't have to be on them to pray. And ask God for light. And when you study these things, abstain from researching it on the internet. Research it in the pages of Scripture if you really want to study something. And you'll do so safely. Amen? And you won't be getting false information. Alright, so Revelation chapter 16. We'll get to all that in just a second. Picking up in verse 12. We stopped in verse number 11 last time. And I, and I did want to show you this real quick. It says, They blasphemed the God of heaven, in verse 11, because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And we talked about how, as God's pouring out the judgment on them, and they're gnawing their tongues for pain, we're right down near the end. I'd say, I'd say we're probably within a month of the second coming, the second advent. And we're right down near the end here of the tribulation, and I'll probably show you in a minute why I think it could be that close. And then these people are gnawing their tongues for pain and blaspheming God. A uh, wild thing is that they know now, at this point, they know God's the one doing it. And instead of repenting and getting right, they're shaking their fist in God's face. This is what scares me about people that'll sit in church and not get right with God under the sound of the Bible preaching. You ever see people that get right every time they get busted? They don't get right as long as they're getting away with it. They'll sit in church and listen to the Bible preached and preached and preached and preached and preached and preached and preached and, preached and, preached and they'll sit there. And then they get busted and they get right. And then what happens? Well, once the, once the uh, adrenaline, the panic of I'm caught now kind of passes and they get through the whole thing and everybody forgives them, they go right back to their old behavior patterns. You understand the importance of being sensitive to the Spirit of God. The importance of being sensitive to the words of God. You ought to be able to read your Bible sitting there on Monday morning and have God speak to your heart on the Bible and bring a tear to your eye. When God shows you in the Bible, that's what you do wrong. You ought to be in the middle of your devotions. I'm talking about if you're having devotions. I'm talking about you're reading your Bible, not as a textbook, and not because you're some religious checklist Pharisee about your Bible reading. I'm talking about reading your Bible because you love the one that wrote it and gave it to you and you're trying to see yourself in that book and see him in that book so you can get yourself closer to him. You ought to be reading through your Bible and say, I got to stop right there and get on my knees and ask God to forgive me. I got to stop right there and make sure I got to make a note right there. That's good. That's me. That, I never saw that before. I'm talking about being sensitive to the Bible, sensitive to preaching sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God in your life. You ought to develop and desire that sensitivity because God can rain fire from heaven and you won't get right. And when you get busted, you get right for a little while and you go right back to your old ways. Something's wrong. Go over to Isaiah chapter 2. Let me show you something real quick. Isaiah chapter 2, look at verse 19. I found this to be interesting. They're blaspheming God, right? And they're having to hide from the face of the sun because we've talked about it already. In the tribulation period, the sun's so hot, it's burning the skin off their back. I mean, bad stuff. And the drought is so dry and it's so bad that their tongue is thick in their mouth, the Bible says. And so what they're doing is they're hiding themselves from the face of God as he's getting ready to come back. Here's what I find interesting. Look at Isaiah chapter 2, verse 19. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks... And into the caves of the earth for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. We're going to see that here in just a little bit in Revelation 16. A massive earthquake is going to take place. But notice something that jumped out at me this week. What are, where are they hiding? In holes and caves. You say, what's the point, preacher? Anybody seen what's going on over there right now? They're in holes and caves. And there's a whole, a whole structure built underground. What they say, 300 miles? I'll bet you they got more out there than that. I'll bet you they've been preparing a lot longer than you think. And that happens to be, just happens to be right in that part of the earth. And Israel's out there mapping all that out right now. Ain't that wild? 
So I'm just saying, maybe the Lord foresaw something back in Isaiah, and it's a little bit more than the cave you would think of or a hole you'd think of. They're running underground to get away from the sunshine. They're running underground to get away from God and away from the heat. Isn't that weird? I just thought that was kind of interesting myself. Look at Jeremiah 16. There might be more there than what meets the eye. You guys are seeing this stuff on the news, but not enough people know their Bible to put two and two together. And I'm thinking, my goodness, man, that looks like a great place to run and hide when, when these stinking crazy things are coming up out of the center of the earth and the sun's scorching you half to death and all weird stuff's happening and people are dying and they're down there hiding in holes and caves. They got them built. Isaiah 16, 16. I'm not saying 100% that's it. I'm just saying, can't you see the possibility that that has something to do with it? Isaiah 16, 16, Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. Jeremiah 16, 16, God's going to send them fishers of men. You know what he's been doing in the first part of the tribulation as we've been going through here? He sent him Moses, he sent him Elijah, he sent him the 144,000 Jewish male virgins to preach, angels flying in heaven to preach. You know what they're doing? They're fishing for souls. And watch this. Excuse me. And after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. Ain't that wild? He sends them fishers first, and when they don't respond to the gospel being preached to them at that time, which is the everlasting gospel, they don't respond to that. He says, all right, it's time to hunt them out. Go back to Revelation chapter 16, if you would. So I just thought those were a couple of interesting little points there. Verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So Euphrates River is the 15th largest river in Asia and the, and the longest in Western Asia. It's 1,730 miles long. It goes through six countries. It terminates there in the uh, Persian Gulf. And what God does with that river is he dries it up to create a highway, uh, prepare a path for these kings of the earth to come. And what the thing that God's doing is he's, God's pulling them all together in one spot so Jesus Christ can come back and stomp their heads out. But go back to, uh, to Revelation chapter 9 and let me show you something. Because this same thing is hinted at over here in Revelation chapter 9. We know that this is, I showed you, we go through the tribulation start to finish four times. And each different time through, the God will emphasize different aspects of the tribulation. So you've got to look through Revelation and you've got to see all the four different accounts and put them together and compare and contrast them to one another to get the big picture. Does that make sense? All right, so in Revelation chapter 9, look at verse um, 14. It says, Say unto the sixth angel which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Right? And that's, that's chapter 16, verse 12, more than likely. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand and I heard the number of them, that's 200 million horsemen. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and then that sat on them, having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth, and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire, and smoke, and brimstone. Pretty wild picture. Go back over to Revelation chapter 16. So what he's done is he dried up this river Euphrates, and we'll show you here in just a minute, uh, probably, probably going to get to it next time, that the kings of the earth are coming and they're gathering themselves together, uh, getting ready for the battle of Armageddon. Now, the thought is, how does, how does, I don't know, three feet or more of blood running 160 miles or something like that in the valley of Megiddo, which we'll get to probably next time. Uh, Armageddon is a hill. They say the valley of Armageddon, that, that's not what it is. Armageddon is a hill, it means a, the, a crowded hill where they're gathered. Megiddo is the valley. And that valley, the blood runs up to three feet or a little more maybe. For 160 miles, you say that's an awful lot of blood. Well, if you, if you got 200 million men gathered, and they're cavalrymen, cavalrymen, so you got 200 million 
horses. We'll get to more of that later, but that doesn't say that's all there is. It's just telling you that's just the cavalrymen. There may be more there. But the Lord dries up the river Euphrates for a purpose. And that purpose is to create a highway for those kings to come down, to travel down. And that may take a little bit of time for them to gather together and get marching down through there. And to gather them up to where he can stomp them out. Boy, what a scene that's going to be. Now look at this next verse, verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, one, and out of the mouth of the beast, two, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three. You know what you got right there? The unholy trinity. It's typified back in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 22 by Balaam, Balak, and Baal. Ain't that wild? You got an unholy trinity. That's, that's a type of the Antichrist coming in the future. You're reading through Numbers and not thinking much of it, and reading the story of Balaam and not thinking much of it. There's a prophet that knew the truth but sold out for the love of money. And when he couldn't get the job done because he can't curse what God's blessed. You understand that, right? God blessed Israel and you ain't going to curse what God's blessed. He gave her promises that he's not taken away. That's why we know that Israel, replacement theology, is straight out of hell. Is We have not replaced the Jews. If you make us replacing the Jews, you erase so much of your Bible, you can't understand half of what this book is saying, literally half. God made promises to Abraham that he says are everlasting covenant, a promise he's not going to take back. He made a promise with David, a covenant with David. He's not taking it back, just like he didn't take back his promise to Noah. And that spans all the dispensations because that promise that God made to Noah is still in effect. So even though the dispensations change, when God makes a promise, he doesn't lie, he keeps his promise. Aren't you glad he promised you eternal life? You have eternal life. How do you know we're not losing our salvation? Because he promised you eternal life. He didn't promise them that in the Old Testament. And he ain't promising that and that in the tribulation period. And they don't get that promise in the millennium. You get it. Ain't that a blessing? It's not too bad being a Gentile dog, is it? <laughs> you can call me a dog all you want. I'm happy to be a Gentile. I'm his Gentile dog. It's all right being that. Amen. All right. So you got, a, you got the unholy trinity. Now here's what I find very interesting. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. What do they come out of? Huh. Now notice unclean spirits. They're like what? Well, that's an aquatic reptilian type of a creature. It's connected with water. With hot, wet places. Now, that's not just some kind of Dr. Ruckman crazy theology. You go ahead and travel the world. You go to these island paradises. And you find out what kind of uncleanness is going on in those places. You go on down to the beaches in the warm areas. You find out what kind of uncleanness is going on behind closed doors. You go ahead and travel the world a little bit. Get near the beach, near the shore, and you find out what's going on. There's something to it. I'm not saying a Christian should never go to the beach. My wife's favorite spot in all the world at this point is Lake Michigan in the summertime when it's hot outside. And for her, it's like, it's like she died and went to heaven. If she can just, we, we go park the car, we'll hike, we'll find a place where we hike through the woods, you know, and there's everybody else is going through there in the national parks and we, in, the, in the state parks and whatnot. And we get down to the beach, we just kind of like cut around everybody. We just can't stand to be around any of them. We're just so antisocial, you know. We cut around it and we'll walk for a couple miles up there where we, till we find a spot where nobody is. And we'll sit down in the sand and just listen to the waves. And that girl could sit there all day long. And just, just to her, I mean, I should probably take her out there, even though it's winter. She'd probably be happy out there in the cold. Well, she wouldn't be happy in the cold, I guarantee that. But I, that, I'm not saying that. It's wicked for you to go to the beach. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. If you get around those places, you notice how much partying is going on. If you're comfortable down there in those environments, if you're one of these ones that's cutting out for spring break and heading down there when everybody else is heading down there, something's wrong with your spirit. Something ain't right. I ain't comfortable in that environment. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want to be around what's going on. 
I, it's, it's not that innocent. Don't tell me you're hiking for two miles to get a loan, okay? I don't believe it. You're 20 years old and you're going down there for spring break. It ain't good. Just saying. You take it or leave it. You do what you want. It's your life. But I'm just saying. What comes out of their mouth is some unclean spirits. And the unclean spirits are like frogs. You know what frogs eat? They eat flies. You know what Beelzebub is? The god of the flies. You know what flies like? Dead stuff. Excrement. Garbage. And it's funny to me that that unclean spirit comes out of their mouth like a frog, and frogs feed on filth. That's why I said this morning, if all you are is talking about people and gossiping about people all the time and, and, and the whole drive of social media, you know what it's tuning you into? A bunch of dead things. That's what it is. It's all works of the flesh. When you're talking about other people's failures and that's all you like and you feed on that stuff and you like to talk about all the bad stuff and all you do is dwell on the past and the problems of the past and the sins of the past and all the rest of that stuff, when you're constantly a negative person or you feed off of the negativity of other people, whether it's their failures or their sins or their shortcomings or whatever else, when you feed off that stuff, something is wrong in your spirit. And when that's what you want to talk about, you always want to talk about people. Something's wrong in your spirit. My dad said this to me, and like, hopefully I get it right here. I should get it right because I've heard it a thousand times. He'd say, little people talk about people. He'd say, average people talk about things like sports and the weather and politics or whatever, just things. But he'd say, big people talk about ideas. I, I could change the last one for you, but whatever. That's what he told me. But the concept was a very good concept. Little people talk about people. If you got friends that all they ever want to do is talk about people, they just get around, all they can do is badmouth people. I am telling you, I'm not saying they're wicked, horrible people. I'm telling you it's something you should work on. We don't have anything else to talk about but people. Guess what? People are messy. You know why? Because they're living in sinful flesh. Who do you think you are Really, think about it for a second. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean or, or come down on you. I, I know you're, I don't think you're doing this. So, so who do you think you are to be criticizing everybody else? Like, really? Did you kids ever notice the people that criticize and make fun of you the most are people that are the most insecure themselves? Why do you feel the need to put other people down? Got some kind of inferiority complex? don't like yourself, do you? You really, really down deep inside, you don't think much of yourself. That's why you got to pick on other people. You know, snarky little sarcasm and always mocking other people and all that stuff. That's a very insecure person. Focusing on dead stuff. Even if you're right about them. Don't you ever feel sorry for the dork nobody else wants to be friends with? They're like, like they're a human being, duh. But it's, a, it's just a wicked spirit that just likes to feed on other people's faults and sins. And it's something that's connected to the mouth. These unclean spirits come out of their mouth. Look at verse 14. For they are the spirits of devils. What do the spirits of devils do? Working miracles. What? The spirits of devils work miracles? Well, there you have your charismatic movement. And that's a newer movement in church history where they're always talking about miracles this and miracles that. Well, I mean, you can give me a miracle all you want, but how do I know that that wasn't a devil? How do I know that miracle came from Jesus Christ? Because unclean spirits can do a lot of wild things. Unclean spirits can enter into an inanimate object and make it alive. It would probably be something like AI, artificial intelligence where it can have a conversation with you and it's an inanimate object. You're going to tell me there ain't something about that? Write me a paper on... Well, tell me some things about yourself. Let's have a conversation. I'm having a human conversation with something that ain't human. You know what that stuff is doing? That stuff is getting you ready for the tribulation period when life enters into something that's dead already and the devil raises it back to life. I think demonic spirits can heal. The Bible says these spirits are working miracles. 
which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Those spirits are going out there to the kings of the whole world and bringing those kings in to gather them together so that God can wipe them out. So God sends the angels down there to dry up Euphrates River to make a highway for them. And then God says, all right, unholy trinity, go ahead and belch it out. And they belch out these frogs like some kind of a sci-fi movie coming out of their mouth. They're spitting out a devil that's like a frog. The Holy Spirit of God's like a what? Dove. That's a beautiful animal. That's a peaceful, that's a peaceful bird. That's white and clean. It's harmless. The devil's belching out a spirit that's like a frog. It's slimy and it's dirty and it's gross and it's aquatic and it eats dead stuff. And those spirits go out there to the kings of the earth and gather those kings together. Now don't forget I told you that God poured out the vial and had the angels dry up Euphrates River. Right? And then the spirits, what's the purpose of God drying it up? To create a highway to bring those guys in a certain place. He's a strategist. And the spirit of, those, the, of the unholy trinity is belching out these frogs and those things go out there. Those unclean spirits go out there and gather those kings together. There you got God and the devil working hand in hand to accomplish the same goal. Ain't that wild? I told you before, sometimes they work so closely together you can't hardly tell the difference between the two, Job. Hast thou seen my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, one that fears God and eschews evil. Yeah, it's because you protect him. All right, fine, I'll let you go this far. And then God lets the devil at him. And he comes back. Skin for skin, all that a man hath. Well, okay, fine, I'll let you do that, but don't take his life. And he goes back and does it. Comes back to God. Who was working on him? Who was working on Job? Both of them. God and the devil were working on him at the same time. He had two different spirits working on him in the same circumstances. You ever wonder why you feel crazy? <laughs> you ever wonder sometimes why you're struggling so bad? I, I, I like to just call it pressure. Anybody ever feel like pressure? Yes, sir. And in the middle of your pressure, you're like, man, I ain't doing right. This ain't right. And feel that struggle. Any of you ever, don't, don't raise your hands, any of you ever get tempted just to quit? Any of you start having them stupid thoughts about going back to Egypt where you came from? Any of you ever notice, any of you ever notice that that happens sometimes when you're actually starting to make some forward progress for God? And then it's wild the way you get knocked for a loop. And it's crazy the way the littlest things could knock you for a loop. I mean, you wouldn't think you'd be so weak and immature. But somebody said something that just tears your just your guts out, just tears you out of the frame, just offends you, just bothers you. That's why I said this morning, we ought to be real careful about what's coming out of our mouths when we come to church. Because we're supposed to be here with God working. And while God's working, you don't think the devil tries to work too? Hey, you know what I pray for, for our church services specifically? I pray for God to put a wall and a hedge of protection round about this place. And I pray that he run off every foul spirit that wants to get in the way and mess you up and stop you from getting what God has for you. I pray that. And I pray for people coming, visitors to come, and souls to get saved and lives to be changed. And any devils that want to walk in among us, that God gets them. Why? Because where God's working, the devil's going to work. So I want to look at these spirits. That's why I want to run some references with you, and we'll stop there tonight. I want you to understand that there's four types of spirits in the world from what I can identify and from what I've been taught. I've done my own work on it, but I think I was taught the right way, and I was taught that there's four different kinds of spirits in the world. First of all, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and let me show you this spirit. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We'll run these references on these spirits and then we'll stop for tonight. I really am trying to keep my messages down under an hour. I know I've been bumping over that a little bit and I apologize for that, but uh, I do want to try to keep them shorter. But you guys, really, I blame it on you guys. You listen so good, I can lose track of time. Um, that's, that's a compliment to you. If Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Look at verse 21. There's two of them here, but I want to focus on this second one. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.21, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast 
that goeth downward to the earth. You say, what is that, preacher? Well, I don't know. I got a thousand thoughts, but I got nothing solid on it. I just know this much. It doesn't look like all dogs go to heaven. We certainly know cats don't. And all reptiles certainly, certainly don't, right? But just notice the point I'm making from this verse. You notice there's a different spirit in an animal. So what makes a dog a dog or a cat a cat? Why are cats so easy to deal with and they kind of take care of themselves? And I know sometimes they can be cuddly and show you attention and other times they're just kind of like, you can leave them in the house for days on end and they're fine. But a dog needs you and, and has a whole different wiring to it. What makes a bird instinctively understand the things of a bird? Or a bear knows how to do bear things? Or a seal? You think about all that. Because there's a spirit in those animals. And there's an instinct in them that God's given them. They have a spirit of an animal. Period. It's that simple. A horse is a wild thing to me. A horse, a horse will charge straight into artillery fire and run from a grasshopper. Like some of you fellas, you know, you're all big and bad until you see a spider or a snake or something. Ah! You know, it's like, seriously, bro? Well, what is it that has them wired the way they're wired? There's a spirit in that animal. All right, that's the first kind of spirit. Let me keep moving so that we're not here all night long. Look at Zechariah chapter 12. Ecclesiastes 3 shows you this one too. There's a spirit in man. Zechariah chapter 12, the last uh, book in your Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 12, look at verse number 1. It says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth. And formeth the spirit of man within him. So there's a spirit of an animal and there's a spirit of a man. So what is it in our human nature that understands instinctively some human things? It's a spirit that's in you. Oh, that's why sometimes you don't like a certain person. Or you know how to send messages to somebody without saying a word. And they get the message. I didn't do nothing. I didn't say nothing. Yeah, we both have some instincts in us because we're human. And I know exactly what you're doing. You know, a lost man has a spirit in him which actually gives him human life. But the Bible says that spirit is dead in trespasses and sins. And when he gets saved, that spirit that's dead inside of him is quickened and made alive. It's the spirit of God that quickens his spirit. So now no longer is his spirit going to go to hell. His spirit's on the way to heaven. All right, so there's a spirit of a beast and there's also a spirit of a man, but, here, but there's more. Look at this one next. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. <coughs> there's unclean spirits or unholy spirits in the world. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to run some references on these unclean spirits. And notice, notice I said unclean spirits, unholy spirits. They're spirits of devils. That's the spirit you find over there in Revelation 16 that comes out of the mouth of the unholy trinity. 1 Samuel chapter 16, look at verse 14. Here's a wild verse. Now I set you up for this on purpose beforehand when I told you God and the devil work so closely hand in hand sometimes you can't tell the difference. And this is a, a, a passage here I get a lot of questions on from a lot of different people because... Well, you'll see why. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord departeth from Saul, departed from Saul, and an evil spirit, see that? From the Lord troubled him. People say, Well, I'm an evil spirit from the Lord. What's up with that? Well, the same thing that was up with it when he allowed the devil to do certain things to Job. You could say that was from the Lord. Why? Because Satan said, yeah, well, you won't let me at him. And God said, all right, I'll drop the hedge of protection a little bit because God was working a goal in Job's life. God was going to get them through it and bless him more after the fact than he was blessed before it. And he was already really blessed. And so a contest went on between God and the devil, and God won the contest, and Job came out the benefactor. But God allowed that hedge of protection to get dropped. 
So Saul is the opposite extreme of that. Job was so holy and serving God so much that he was suffering for doing right. On the other end of that spectrum, you got Saul and Pharaoh, which we'll see as we're going through the book of Romans. It's very important. I'm, I'm dropping little breadcrumbs for you on purpose because it's very important that as we go through Romans, you understand what God means when he says some vessels are prepared for a certain thing. So you got to get that concept or you're going to get trapped by the Calvinists. So you got Saul, on the other hand, God's given him ample opportunity. And he keeps disrespecting and disobeying the spoken word of God. God told him what to do. And he has workarounds for what God says. Like he said, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. What had happened? He overstepped what God told him to do because Samuel didn't show up in his time. And he had something he wanted. And he didn't want to wait for it to do it God's way. So instead, he took the Bible and used a Bible verse use some biblical reasoning to justify sinning against the Bible. I'm preaching now. I, you don't realize it, but I'm preaching. I know some guy asked my daughter, well, in your religion, do you have to wait for a ceremony to consummate the marriage? Or in your religion, is a ceremony just a ceremony? That's like the religious piece of it. But you can also, like, being right with God, you can still... And, and she, she said, well, according to what we believe, the Bible says you submit yourself to every ordinance of man. So in this culture, we get married and in what we believe, we make a vow to each other before God and the church because we want God's activity in that marriage. We want God's hand of blessing on that marriage. So no, we don't believe there's workarounds. We're not Muslims. I'm telling you, I'm saying that on purpose for some of you young girls because you'll get around these Bible-believing guys that know how to rightly divide and they'll try to tell you that marriage is flesh joining flesh, which I'll show you Wednesday night. I'll show you Wednesday night. A biblical definition of marriage is flesh joining flesh. And so a little snake, little unclean spirit that he's got in him will say, well, marriage is flesh joining flesh anyways and we're going to get married later so as long as we you know, are monogamous and faithful to each other, we can overstep God's timing because we don't want to wait for what God says. You little devil. Twist in the Bible. You understand what I'm saying? To justify the sin they want to commit. That's what Saul did. You better be careful when it comes to messing with the Bible. You better understand exactly what he means when he says what he says and go by what he says and do it his way because you are playing with fire when you manipulate the word of God. You want that? Go to religion. They'll give that to you. A very religious guy asking my daughter that. I want to drive over there and smack him in the mouth. He's not man enough to punch him. Excuse me, I shouldn't say that. He's a lost man. Heaven forbid he hear me say this. It just fired me up. Just, come on, dads. Thank you. Both of you. Appreciate it. Kind of out here on a limb by myself right now. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. I don't know his motive. Maybe his question was from the right heart, but I doubt it. Matthew chapter 12. So no, I'm not apologizing for what I said. Look at verse 13. I'm sorry, 43. Not supposed to be preaching tonight, but here I am getting fired up. Matthew 12, 43. The Bible says, when an unclean spirit... See that? Saul's over there twisting the Bible, and God says, all right, fine, I'll send an unclean spirit. Since you want to listen to that, you don't want to listen to me, I'll go ahead and let you get vexed. That's give them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. Paul said that guy in the church, that saved guy, give him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You mean God who has him sealed eternally and has his soul taken care of will give a, a saved man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Didn't say the spirit. He ain't losing his salvation. He said go ahead and tear his body up. Now that's scary. When an unclean spirit, in verse 43, is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. The unclean spirit. He, he's, he's, he's dry, and he needs something to ride in. He's looking for a ride. He wants to hitch up to something. He's a disembodied spirit, probably. Why, they're obsessed with being in something. You take them out of the demon act and they want to go in the pigs. Why? 
What's their obsession with being inside somebody? Isn't that weird? So what he does is he says, I'll return into my house, verse 44, from whence I came out. When he has come, he find it empty. You guys see that? I'll make the point in a minute. Just see that. I sure hope you ain't empty. Amen. He find it empty and swept and garnished. Man, I'm all cleaned up. How don't I look good? I got it all together. When he sees I was clean and neat and swept, garnished and well decorated it is. <laughs> then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there and the last state of that man is worse than the first. I hope that scares you. You get cleaned up and stay empty. Looking all purdy. You're all religious. You got it all together. You better be careful. Because those unclean spirits go out there and he's saying, well, I ain't got nowhere else to go. Everybody else is already taken. Wanted to get in that one, but that one's consumed with their addictions. I wanted to get in that one, but that one's consumed with their bitterness. I wanted to get in that one, but the spirit of lust is already so powerful in that one. I can't get in that one. I wanted to get in that one, but that one's such a rebel, that rebellious spirit. That one's God. I can't get in there. I wanted to get in that one, but I can't. Let me just go back to the one I know. And the one he knows that got somehow or another got freed from his control and grasp and power. He says, oh, wow, look at this. There's plenty of room. Goes and finds seven more wicked than himself. What he's doing is he's kissing up to his superiors. And he's saying, come on, fellas, I found a great place to dwell. Didn't I say earlier, do some of you ever get tempted to go back to Egypt where you came from? Didn't I ask you earlier if some of you ever get tempted to quit? Didn't I mention earlier sometimes you feel a tremendous amount of pressure on you to give up? Didn't I tell you something more is going on? Something wants you to go back. God don't want you to go back. You know how many funerals I've done for saved men that went back? I'm trying to warn you tonight. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to drag up any negative thoughts for you. I'm not trying to drag up your past. I'm trying to tell you. You better be careful. Mark chapter 5, please. Did I already tell you that? Mark chapter 5, look at verse 2. Here's a weird passage. This one's interesting to me. When he was come out of the ship, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, notice that. Ain't that interesting? A man with an unclean spirit. Watch this unclean spirit. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Always night and day, watch him. He has, he has trouble with sleeping. He giveth his beloved sleep. I've had lots of periods in my life where I, trouble sleep. I have trouble sleeping. I'm not saying if you have trouble sleeping that you're the devil or that you're possessed. Don't get superstitious. I've had lots of periods of my life when I have trouble sleeping. And you know what I do? I pray over it. And I figure, well, Lord, maybe you're getting me up because you know how to talk to me. So I go get my Bible. And I sit down open my Bible and try to get him to talk to me. And if I can fall asleep reading my Bible, I just let myself fall right to sleep. Oh, that's so unspiritual. The Bible bores you. No, maybe it just rocked me to sleep. Maybe it just comforted my heart. Maybe he just soothed me right off singing his little lullabies from a King James Bible. So if you fall asleep reading your Bible, maybe you ain't the devil. Amen. Don't do it every day and every time you're doing your devotions. But, but maybe sometimes you're being troubled. He's in the mountains and in the tombs crying. I think crying is good. Even if you are a man. I think some of you men get so hard and so bitter and so angry and so tough. You need to ask God to give you a tear in your eye. You might be a better husband, a better father, a better Christian, more compassionate person if you could cry a little bit. I don't think you need to turn into a sniveling little wimp. Amen. 
I ain't talking about that. So if you're a crybaby, something's wrong with you. That's the point I'm making here. This guy's crying so much, he can't stop crying all the time. Well, there ought to come a time period where whatever's bothering you, you heal from. God should heal you, shouldn't he? With time. I'm not saying you've got to get over it tomorrow. But I'm saying you should be on a course of comfort. You should be on a course of healing. You should be taking steps forward. If you're stuck in that position, something might be wrong. Amen? Is that balanced? And if you ain't been able to get on your knees and cry in prayer, gentlemen, in a long time, you need to talk to God. And if God puts a tear in your eye, don't ever ask Him to take it away. I can't stand crying. My kids say, Dad, we never see you cry other than when you're preaching. And I can't stand it. I don't like it. It's embarrassing to me. But you know what I won't pray? I won't pray, God, help me to quit crying. Sometimes I need to lose control. Sometimes it's all right for Him to be melting my heart when it's the Spirit of God. When it's some kind of a strange, ungodly, weird thing that's an overwhelming, crushing thing, do you ever stop to consider that maybe the devil likes to know how to just put the screws to you and just always focus on what makes you hurt? Maybe that's an unclean spirit doing that to you. Isn't one of the fruits of the spirit joy? All right, he's always crying and cutting himself. Notice that. Marking his body up. You got a lot of people doing that. A lot of these young kids cutting themselves. You young people, the Holy Spirit of God would never ask you to take a knife or a razor and slit your skin open. The, the Holy Spirit of God would never ask you to do that. If you need attention, why don't you just talk to somebody that cares about you? Because I know you're in this church, you've got people that care about you, you've got parents that care about you. Why don't you talk to them? Something's wrong with you if you're cutting yourself. I mean, I was just, you know, my kid, I'd be like, you want to feel some pain, I'll whoop your stinking hind end. You know, you'll figure it out. I know they're getting too old for all that now. It's been years since any of that's happened. But my goodness, man, something's wrong when these kids are cutting themselves. That's not a good sign. When Jesus saw him afar off, he ran and worshipped him. You mean an unclean spirit can bow at the feet of Jesus and worship him? This one did. Watch this. And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjire thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, My name is Legion, for we are... Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Speaking to one specific spirit. And he said, What's your name? He already knew his name. He said, My name is Legion, for we are many. Unclean spirits must be small enough to be like flies for there to be a legion of them inside one man, probably a thousand or more in one man. And one spokesman that was the head of them and called an unclean spirit and that guy said, oh no, I got a lot more to me than just that. Uh, unclean spirits can procreate. We can multiply. And I got a bunch in this guy. And he says, come out of them. And he gets, kicks that unclean, that legion out. They run into the pigs. Why do they want to be in something? In an unclean animal. Now, now listen. It's an unclean spirit in an unclean man. Comes out of the unclean man and goes into unclean animals. That was an unclean environment because the Jews weren't to be having pigs. They weren't to be eating pigs. Who's raising pigs? That's not under the law. It was somebody violating the word of God, not living by the word of God, and flooded with unclean spirits. What I'm trying to tell you tonight is the world you're in and the people that are around you are so full of unclean spirits that it's affecting saved people. And just because you're born again doesn't mean it's not affecting you. And just because you're born again and sealed by the Spirit of God doesn't mean you can't also have an unclean spirit or unclean spirits in you. Now you say, that's a hard doctrine, preacher. I know. And all the fundamental Baptists just, 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 their hair just stands on end when you say, how can a man that's got the Spirit of God in him have an unclean spirit in him? How can a man that's got the Spirit of God in him live in fornication? 
How can a man that got the Spirit of God in him live in adultery? How can a man that's got the Spirit of God in him live in drunkenness? How can a man with the Spirit of God in him live in, in, in drug abuse? How can a man with the Spirit of God in him cuss? How can a man with the Spirit of God in him do all the things people do full of envy and debate and deceit and all the malignant things that come out of our mouths and think a man with the Spirit of God in him can't sin? If you can sin and sin's in your flesh, then why couldn't an unclean spirit take over inside of you? Can a saved man be possessed? Well, your soul can't. But it's cut away from your flesh, and what they want is flesh. Them pigs just, that's a, that's a body and a spirit. They can get in your body, they will. Ain't that a nice, fluffy thought for a Sunday night? Go to the book of James. I'm almost done. Just give me like, let me give you like two more passages. I'm not getting to everything I got. Go to the book of James. We might pick it up next week. <coughs> I want you to see verse 5. We looked this morning. Oh, no, no, chapter 3. I said verse 5. I meant chapter 4. But first I want to start in chapter 3. I want you to see something. We talked about, touched on this this morning. Look at verse 13. James 3, 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Now watch verse 14. But. If ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Hebrews says, looking diligently, let any, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I believe unclean spirits love bitterness. I think unclean spirits find a root for bitterness when they find some kind of a wound in your heart. That was Psalm 109.22 this morning. They find the poor man, the weak man, wounded in his heart. And they say, see that open wound? Let's, let's fester that puppy. Let's keep cutting that thing open and open and open and open and open and open and open. This is why when I counsel some people and they're talking about forgiving, 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 I tell them sometimes, not often, but sometimes I say, maybe you need to stop worrying about forgiveness and you need to get away from that person that keeps cutting you open. Why? Because I'm looking at their longevity. We'll get to the forgiveness later. Right now, let's heal up that wound. And you keep running with open arms to the person that wants to dash you wide open and dash you wide open and dash you wide open. And you have this pressure on you from the devil who's quoting, forgive, forgive, forgive in your mind. Oh, God won't forgive you if you don't forgive others. And it's the devil pressuring you to keep around somebody that's demon-possessed and going to keep cutting you open. Why? He wants to plant a root of bitterness in there. So you've been hurt, somebody done you wrong, something didn't go your way, it wasn't fair to you, he'll find that bitterness. I think demonic spirits, I think that cancer of unclean spirits feeds off of bitterness. I think that cancer of unclean spirits feeds off of lust. I think that cancer of unclean spirits feeds off of contention and strife and debate. That's why if you come up, well, I don't agree with you on this, that, I'm not going to debate with you. Nine times out of ten... I got a hundred things, reasons why I say something, I hope. Sometimes I'm wrong. I'm human. I, whatever. <laughs> it used to hurt my pride. It don't hurt my pride so much anymore. You do as much teaching and preaching as I do and see if you don't get caught once or twice. Amen? I'm not the standard. The Bible is. I've never made myself the standard. The Bible is. I'm human just like you. I ain't debating with you. The Bible says not to, doting about questions and strifes of words. I hear that stuff going on, I'll squash it. You want to do that, hold a little Bible study in your house and go ahead and bust everybody up and split everything up. Show off how smart you are and impress everybody with your Bible knowledge. We're not doing that here. Not debating with you. Why? Because the devil gets into that stuff. Splits churches over it. All right, look at verse 14. Bitter envying and strife, glory not, lying out against the truth. This wisdom. This what? It's wisdom. It's wisdom. You're right. You see things they don't see. You got it. Descendeth not from above. There's a wisdom. I need wisdom, don't you? But there is a wisdom that looks good, smells good, sounds good, is, wow, that was amazing. That is not from God. But is earthly, sensual, watch it, devilish. 
For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. That's why I said this morning, can you submit your talents? Can you submit your talents to God? We want your talents around here. We do. Can you exercise your talents under the rules? I know I just ticked some people off. Under the rules that are established for how we operate in the church. This is how we do it. If you don't want to do it that way, fine. Don't exercise your gifts. But this is how we do it here. Well, it could be done better. It doesn't matter. I don't care. This is how we do it. You see what You see what happens? You, that, that, that envying and that strife and that bitterness and that struggle to try to get to the top and to get things done your way is so destructive. The devil gets in that stuff. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above, God's, is first pure. Not, it, it's pure. It's like that dove. There's nothing unclean in it. It's not... It's not utilizing what's being preached and taught. It's not utilizing that individual for my own personal pleasure or profit. I'm not hitching a ride in their flesh to promote myself. It's pure. It's peaceable. The older I get, the more I want to make peace. I don't want to fight with you. Even if you want to fight with me right now, I figure you're having a bad day and you'll probably be fine next week. And if you're not, you keep being cantankerous. We'll deal with it eventually when God makes me deal with it. Literally. I want to get along. I like peace. I fought enough to where I really don't need to fight anymore. I think I can. At any given moment, I'm 100% confident that I can. I have proven everything I need to prove to myself. I enjoy peace. Gentle. I, I, I like this word, gentleman. There is nothing wrong with being a gentleman and easy to be entreated. I want to be approachable. I want somebody to be able to come to me. Don't just pack up and get out of here. I want you to come talk to me. I don't want you just to tuck tail and run. I don't want you to feel like, well, I can't approach my preacher. I had a problem. I had an issue, but he doesn't like to hear about problems because he doesn't want, he's just going to make me think I'm just being, why don't you come talk to me? Don't just blitz out of here. Even if you're backslidden and you got your nose bent out of shape and you need to be corrected, I want you to know that I am really, I want to be easy to be approached. I want to talk to you first. Give me a chance. Hello? <laughs> that's, that's what I want to be. You know what I find super easy? The other wisdom. I'm going over. Doggone it. I'm going to kick myself all week and try to work really hard not to do it next week. I'm almost done. Hang in there. Full of mercy. Isn't that a great phrase? That means they don't deserve it, but you, you give it to them anyways. Isn't that great? And good fruits without partiality. Don't, I don't care who you are, where you're from. None of that matters. You're the Lord's. Does he love you? You trying to serve him? Okay, you got evil ground here. That's how I see it. And without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Go to Ephesians 5 and we're done. So rattle your cage a little bit. Unclean spirits want to be in people. How, how much you want to bet this? Now this is really... I want to say it right because this is harsh. How much you want to bet... I'll say it this way. How much you want to bet that a lot of people, the vast majority of people that get saved... Past 15. Already have a bunch of unclean spirits in them and don't even know it. Sure. How much you want to bet? How much you want to bet almost everybody? Yeah. Maybe even younger. Yeah. And they got saved. That's what happened when they got saved. They were washed. They were sanctified. They were set free. They got it all out. It's all gone. But you know what you're told in Ephesians chapter 5 as a commandment from God? Now, what I'm giving you is the answer to this whole unclean spirit thing. Okay? Here's the answer. So I don't want you to get all hyper paranoid, right? Ephesians 5, 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein as excess, but be 
filled with the Spirit. I said, are you empty? Remember? I hope you're not empty. Well, I'm born again, I'm saved, I quit doing all the things I used to do, and yeah, good for you. God gave me victory over all those sins, good for you. And the ones that used to know you might be out wandering around and haven't had a chance back in yet because God's being merciful, but you better fill up. When he said, be not drunk with wine, wearing his excess, but be filled with the Spirit, he knew what he was talking about. I'm telling you right now, you fill up with the Holy Ghost of God, with the Holy Spirit of God. You be filled with Him. And there's no room for unclean spirits when the Spirit of God is filling you and He's in control and He's in charge and He is running that shit, boy. When He's the one in charge, you don't have to worry about unclean spirits. But all those works of the flesh which are manifest, adultery, fornication, uncleanness. Isn't that interesting? All the works of the flesh, the things that the flesh can do, the devil see those as opportunities and try to get in there and try to set up house inside of you. You better watch out for rebellion, young ones. Because the more you go down that rebellious road, the more you're giving yourself over to something. How do I not do that? Be filled with the Spirit of God. You know what he does? He'll clean you up. Go listen to that message I recommended by Dr. Ruckman. You know what he said he does? He said he gets on his face and he says to God, God, if there's anything wicked or unclean in me, get it out. Please, God, get it out. I think that's a great part of confessing your daily sinful prayers and God cleanse me and fill me, clean me up. I want to be full of that clean, wonderful, peaceful, powerful spirit. Almighty God, fill me with your spirit. I recommend every one of you do it. And God commanded that you do it. All right, I will commit to you that I'm going to try to keep my future teachings and preachings under an hour. I think I went a little over this time, so please come back next week. Maybe this is why everybody, they're not sick. They're just sick of me and needed a break. So I'll try to make sure I don't overdo it. Let's go ahead and we'll stop there, pick it up next week, be dismissed in a word of prayer.